Well, I want to thank the elders for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, one of the reasons why I came here about a couple of years ago was because of the size of the congregation and my family has not been disappointed in the, the skill, the knowledge, the ability to present God's Word from the evangelists and from the teachers in the classrooms. It's been very beneficial to us. I want to thank you all for the, the strength you've given me and my family by coming over here. And so I hope today I may repay that in some way, and whatever I say may be beneficial to you and edifying and also glorify our Father. Wilmer McLean. Have you ever heard of Wilmer McLean? Wilmer McLean was 46 years old in 1861. I got some smiles over here. You know who he is? Who he is? No? Okay. Thought maybe he was in your classroom or something. No? You're just looking at his beard, perhaps. 1861, he was 46 years old, and that's when the Civil War began. Now, he had a farm in Virginia. As a matter of fact, he had a farm in Manassas, Virginia. And there was a stream that meandered through his farm called Bull Run. Now, if you know your history, then you realize that the first major battle, you know, we had Fort Sumter there at the beginning, but the first major battle of the Civil War was there at Bull Run. It was the first battle of Bull Run or the first battle of Manassas. Well, it came about that uh, his house, his property was taken over as a Confederate headquarters. And the day after he left with his family, an artillery shell ripped through his detached kitchen where a dinner was being prepared for the Confederate general. Three days later, the battle actually started, and his barn was used as a hospital and a jail. So, needless to say, he was not very pleased with what was happening on his property, and so he did return, but eventually left to greener pastures. And in 1863, he moved to a quiet place called Appomattox Courthouse. Now, by the laughter, I'm assuming you also know your history, and that is Appomattox Courthouse is where the Civil War ended. Uh, he just happened to be the fellow that was asked, do you know of a place where General Lee and General Grant can talk? And so, yes, his house was again used uh, in a historic way where General Lee and General Grant discussed General Lee's surrender. Now, after Lee departed his house, it was ransacked by the Union officers. And I'm just going to read the text here because I can't remember all the things that were, that were being done. But as McLean protested, the soldiers walked out with the tables and chairs used by Lee and Grant, a stone inkstand, brass candlesticks, and even a favorite rag doll of his seven-year-old daughter. They tore apart McLean's, McLean's cane-bottomed chairs and cut upholstery strips from his sofas as mementos. As compensation, the soldiers shoved money into the hands of the unwilling seller and threw it onto the floor when he refused to accept it. McLean told a Confederate general the next day, 
These armies tore my place, tore up my place on Bull Run all to pieces, and kept running over it backward and forward till no man could live there. And now, just look around you. Not a fence rail is left on the place. The last guns trampled down all my crops, and Lee surrenders to Grant in my house. And so, yes, the Civil War began in his front yard and ended in his parlor. Now, there are times we may also want to flee. We may also want to run from turmoil, but we find that we cannot escape. And that's the topic of my lesson this morning. Where could I go? Where can we go when we want to flee? So I first want to talk about this idea of relocating and where we want to live. And I've I was going to say opportunity, but it's not necessarily an opportunity to have to move all the time. But I have been in different places, and so whenever I'm picking jobs where I want to go, I'm, I like to be very mobile. And I see a place in North Carolina or Alabama or Texas or wherever it is, I, I like to investigate the area. Okay, And here are some, some things you may want to be looking at when you're looking at where you want to move to. Now, some of us may not have a choice. Wherever the jobs are, that's where I'm moving. But if we're fortunate enough, we may have the opportunity to, opportunity to decide, I'm going to move from spot A to spot B because that is a better spot. And we may, we may be looking at things like this, like the taxes and the, and the climate and things like this. One of the things I looked at was, they, I don't know, but back in the day, they had a mosquito meter. And so living in the Mississippi Delta, I didn't like mosquitoes. People around here now talk about uh, mosquitoes. You don't have a problem with mosquitoes here. Um, but I would look at the mosquito meter if I've never been in that particular area, and I'd look at tornadoes and the climate and so forth, the taxes, the housing costs, all those things. And, of course, some of you may place a higher priority on these than others. But the idea is we have some factors, some metrics that we use to decide, uh, you know, where we are going to live. And hopefully if we have the ability, we're able to move from one spot to another one. And it could be within a state. It could be within a region. It could be within a country. Or we could move globally throughout the world. And we've been hearing recently of this great migration from California that's actually been happening quite a while, but now it's just kind of picked up recently where we have, uh, of course, people are moving in and out all the time, but now we have a lot more people moving out of California than moving in. And most recently and terribly, unfortunately, are the ones who are trying to, who tried to, and some succeeded, and trying to flee Afghanistan. And so maybe you've seen the news and we see them, we see the parents taking their child and giving it to the soldiers so at least their child can escape from that location and go someplace else. You see film reels where the people are grabbing on to the airplanes as they're taking off from the airfield. And then after there's a few hundred, maybe a thousand or so feet up in the air, you see a body fall from the airplane. And then I was reading in one spot where after the plane landed, wherever it did, there was a dead person in the wheel well of the plane. The extent that these people went to to try to escape at least shows us their perception of what they expect to be happening in Afghanistan, the conditions 
that they expect with the Taliban takeover. They were looking for a better place. Now, as we go from place to place, and this is the story and this is the lesson from Wilmer McLean, is that no matter where you go, problems are always going to persist. And so we, we see different pockets of safety for Christians in the United States and throughout the world. But still we see religious persecution, we see progressive immorality, corruption, wickedness, crime, disease, accidents, natural disasters, government oppression, and obviously there's death. You cannot get rid of death and taxes. Isn't that the big thing? And so we ask, you know, where can we go? And if you've been religious at all in your life, you know the, the exact direction I'm going, right? Where can we go? Well, we can go to God. And we've got our place in the afterlife where we can live forever with our Father. Yes, that's the direction I want to go to. But it may not be so obvious to all of us. As you get older and as you see more pain, and sometimes I don't think it's not that you don't see the pain as a young person. Maybe it just doesn't hit as a real as when you get older. But you begin to appreciate the suffering of others. You know, younger when I go to the hospital and I'm visiting this person or that person or this person has a disease. Sorry to hear about that. I got to go try to find a job. Sorry to hear about that. I got to study for the test. I always had bigger and better things in my life to think about. There's always something for me to do as a young person. And fortunately, in this country, in this area, we, we're, we have the benefit of having all these blessings. But it distracts us from the reality of the suffering and the persecution and the dangers that are in this life. And so I think there are many of us, and not all the time, but at least maybe sometimes, we get comfortable with where we are until perhaps your life is threatened with an accident, or with crime, or what have you, with a disease. You see your family members passing away, and we've had quite a number of our members lose family members recently. We've had quite a few members who are going through various treatments and diseases. And so what I would like to do is consider, or at least put into perspective, this idea of where we are and to recognize if a better place exists. So I'd like to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it says verse, starting in verse 9, but I'm going to be looking at verse 10. That was just a, a typo there for, from the person who made that uh, slide. And, of course, this chapter is talking about those uh, examples of faith. 
In verse 10 it says, For he was looking for the city, and this is Abraham, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then jumping down to verse 13, all these died in faith. He's talking about Sarah, Abraham, Enoch, and so forth. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having, been, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So here we're looking at verse 10. Abraham looking for a city. That has foundations. The builder is God. In verse 14, they are, not, they are seeking a country of their own, not that belongs to somebody else. They desire a better country, a heavenly one, in verse 16. But look at verse 15. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. So Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, settled in Haran, and then came back down. All these people who are doing things for God, who are moving for God, if they thought about the country from where they came from, they would have opportunity to return. Their mind is set on what, where they were and not where they were going. Or that's what could have happened. But for these people in this great chapter of faith, they had their mind going forward and not where they were or where they had come from. Very unlike Israel. Where was Israel mind? They had, <laughs> we had it a lot better in Egypt. I mean, God dragged them through the desert, kicking and screaming, all the while looking back toward Egypt while they were marching toward the promised land. Now, why do I bring that verse up? Well, it's because if we don't see where we are, better is, better is a relative term, is it not? There's A or B, which is better. If we don't see where we are in the condition we're in, we think everything is hunky-dory now and we're living a life of pleasure and a life of ease, why in the world would we ever think about some better place? And we're fine right here where we are. So... I would like us to consider our present situation and hopefully stimulate us to look for a better place. And the better place that I've mentioned so far is that heavenly city, that city that has foundations, a country that we can call our own. That's the ultimate discussion, or that's the ultimate place I want to direct our thoughts. But I also want to consider that moving in this life is not out of the question. I'm sure many of you, most of you, have, don't, have not lived in the same house that you grew up in. You've moved different places for various reasons. And there may be reasons why we may want to seek greener pastures here even in this life. And so as I present this idea of seeking a better place, I want to look at seeking a better place in this life and then seeking a better life, a life in the uh, life to come. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is discussing uh, judgment and how God rescues those from judgment. And one of those is Lot. And it says of Lot, 
For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Right, uh, righteous Lot had settled toward Sodom and Gomorrah and finally moved into Sodom. And his righteous soul was tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Why? Was that? Why? Because there's light and there's darkness. There's what Lance talked about, about the light shining in the darkness. There's the light and the darkness. There's good and there's evil. It's like putting the you know, pauses of, an, of a magnet together. They, just, they don't go together. It doesn't mesh. And so he's good. Sodom, Gomorrah, those people in the area were evil. And so obviously, now why was he tormented? Was he tormented because his house got egged every night or toilet papered every night or uh, they didn't give him a job? It just seems to me he was tormented. His righteous soul, not that they tormented him, but his soul was tormented because of what was around him. So I would like us to think, is our soul tormented when we see the progressive wickedness in this life? Or are we content and happy? Just satisfied with as long as I've got my job and as long as I've got my games and my TV, we're fine. But consider the idea that moving to a better place is not so unique. We have Lot. Of course, God pulled Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we have Elijah in hiding from King Ahab. Jesus' family moved from their home to Egypt to keep Jesus safe. And of course, they were instructed by God to do that. The Jerusalem church, when the persecution came, what happened? They were scattered throughout the world from Jerusalem. There was a persecution. We need to seek a better place. And so they moved. And notice what Jesus says regarding uh, the people there in Jerusalem when Jerusalem will soon be destroyed in AD 70. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus had already said, because the disciples had said, Look at this great build, this temple, all these great structures. And Jesus says, You're, These. Not one stone will be left upon another. And they ask him, when will these things be? And so he started explaining when these things will be. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, you need to get out of town. And in AD 70, well, by that time, I 68, I think, they came in. And if you didn't get out of town, you could have been one of millions. I'm talking millions that could have been killed by the Roman legions. And we talked about Afghanistan already, but I'm always thinking about the Jews in Germany, Nazi Germany in the 1930s when Hitler came to power. We know what eventually had, uh, what, what eventually happened with the Jews in their extermination where millions of them were killed later on in the 40s. And before then, sent to concentration camps Do we understand the tragedy there? The same thing that we see in Afghanistan, that happened some time ago on a great, much greater scale where first it was like, well, we're just going to segregate you. First, we're going to let you wear this badge to demonstrate who you are. You have to identify yourself as a Jew. Well, that's not so bad. I'm just wearing a badge. And then one thing leads to another 
it gets progressively worse and worse. And the next thing you know, you're stuck in this place away from your house, living somewhere else you don't want to live. And Myung is not a Jewish name, but let's make it real. Myung is taken over here. I'm taken over here. Emily is over there. Timothy is over there. I don't know where my family is. Now, if you have any relationship with your family, if you're not close with your blood family, at least consider those you're close to and think about being parted from those. I can't protect you anymore. I can't take care of you anymore. There's a separation there. I don't know what they're doing to you. And then finally we're bussed up or uh, uh, packed up into uh, rail cars like sardines and moved to this concentration camp, would have no clothes, barely have any food, starving, medical experiments placed upon us, and then eventually exterminated and killed. That's reality. There were some Jews back in the 30s not that they saw, hey, this is going to lead to widespread uh, genocide. But, you know, the Nazis, I'm listening to what they're saying. They don't like us. Uh, it'd be nice if we could move. And many, many, many of them did move. England, United States, they moved. They escaped because they saw the situation that they were in. And because they accurately assessed the situation they were in, they were able to escape. We need to realize as Christians, we are unique. We are a peculiar people and we should feel out of place. We as Christians should feel out of place in this life. Now, I know in the context I'm talking about is moving from one spot A to spot B in the United States or moving from the United States to some other country. But the idea is the same. Whether we are looking at our condition here in the world and looking to a better place outside of the world or looking at Arkansas or the United States and trying to move someplace else, whatever it is, we should at least to put our, uh, our, our situation in the proper perspective, we should realize that we should feel out of place. In Hebrews chapter 11, that same chapter that I read from before, the same passage, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This world is not our home. They were strangers and exiles on the earth. And Peter talks about the, that the world, they're, they're surprised that you don't run with them in the same excess. You follow these particular rules. You're not as, you don't do what we do. You're funny. You're weird. You're off. So the surprise you don't do that. And then jumping down to 1 John 3, they're going to hate you. They hate us. Make no bones about it. Now I know most of the world, most people in the United States today, we're fine. We like to do this coexisting. But mark my words, brethren, I'll have another lesson with that. Evil never compromises. It never compromises. It will put on a bumper sticker that says we can coexist, but meanwhile want to throw us in jail because we don't believe that homosexuals can get married. It will never compromise. If you don't believe that, what did the Philistines tell the Israelites back when, the, when, when Goliath was making his taunts? Listen to Champion Down. If we win, you become our slaves 
if you win, I mean, if we win, you become our slaves. If you win, we become your, your slaves. How did that work out? So just as immediately as David killed Goliath, the Gentile said, I mean, the Philistine said, okay, you win, we're your slaves. Nope, that's when the battle ensued. You can't trust wicked men. And don't think that the world does not hate you, does not hate us. And as the world becomes progressively more and more wicked, that hatred and if you haven't realized the riots and all the things that have been going on in the past year, I, I'd simply ask, open your eyes and see the dangers that are around us. Does that mean everything's going to hell in a handbasket tomorrow and we should all just shoot ourselves? No. But we should at least just realize, as the Afghans did, as the Jews did in Nazi Germany, as uh, others who migrated from different areas, they... Uh, Assess the situation and says, you know, there may be a better place. And we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery ordeal in 1 Peter 4 that will come upon us. But still, some don't see it. I, I, everything's fine. And even with Lot, what did he do? Righteous Lot, righteous Lot's soul was tormented. But guess what? When the angel said, get out. The next verse, he hesitated. The angels had to grab him by the hand and pull him out of town. Even righteous Lot hesitated. We are comfortable where we are. Oh, was it Brent? He did the momentum thing. Was it Brent that did the momentum? An object at rest tends to stay at rest. We like where we are. I don't want to move. And it's hard for us to see better places. And so we, we are comfortable with where we are. Now, Alan, all is not doom and gloom. Well, that is a matter of opinion. The Word of God doesn't say that the United States is just in a pickle and it's never going to recover. I'm here to preach the Word of God to you. But the Word of God does give us some guides about what good and evil is and what good people did before. So I'm hopefully I'm trying to explain some principles here. And it may be that, hey, if things get bad in California... Now, we're fortunate here in Arkansas, Texas, southeast part. We have a lot more liberty here. We're not as oppressed. We have a lot more freedoms. Um, I'm fortunate to be working at a university that is not hyper-progressive liberal, but if you were going to one of the state, insti state institutions, U of A or maybe Georgia Tech or someplace like that, I don't know if I'd be able to survive. Truthfully, survive. Because the way I live my life is not how they want me to live my life. And they don't play fair. Evil does not play fair. Now it may be that you say, but Alan, I'm content here. I want to be here because I want to let my light shine here. That's good. I don't want to leave Arkansas. I don't want to leave the United States. I want to stay where I am because this is a dark place and there's work to do here. There's Lord's work to do here. Then we're looking at the right, we're looking at the world the right way. We have the right perspective. But I, what I want us to consider though is, is that we should not be complacent. Are we staying or moving for the right reasons? James 4, very 
well-known passage, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We should not rest on the idea, like many back in Noah's day, things are going fine. Or like many of the Jews back in Nazi Germany, or like many of the Afghans who didn't, who didn't uh, try to escape until the last minute, everything's fine. It's always been like this. It's always going to be like this. That's where we mess up. Things won't always be like this. And I can guarantee you they won't be like this all the time. So stay and fight, yes. But otherwise, let's look at the world in its proper place. And that is, we are out of place. But still again, from the Word of God, no matter where we go, in this life, moth and rust destroy. No matter what city you go into, moth, I'm going to move from Little Rock to Atlanta. I'm moving from Little Rock to Dallas. Well, guess what? Moth and rust destroy there as much as it does here. And you're going to have thieves there as you have thieves here. And we can never escape death in this life. As, Psalm, as the psalmist says, what man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? No. So on the one hand, you can go moving from one spot to another, always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side and find out that it's not. You're always going to have problems. But yet on the other hand, we need to realize, at least look at the grass, dude. Let's assess where we are and think there may be a better place. I'm not saying there is, but I'm saying we have to look at where we are in the right perspective. So now I've been talking about seeking a better place, have some connotations about seeking a better place in this life, but also in the backdrop, always thinking about that better place in the afterlife. Let's think more specifically about that place in the afterlife. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Now, how does, what is this, how does this fit in? Go back to the Hebrews. If they had been thinking of where they had come from, they would have opportunity to return. When you go to a funeral, when you see family members die, when you see your fathers die, death becomes more real than you can ever imagine. When you have a spouse die, and some of many of you have had spouses die or children die, death becomes more real. And when death becomes real, we think, oh, I need to put my life in their proper perspective now. And that's why it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because at the house of mourning, that's where we put ourselves and gain the proper perspective. I'm going to die. There's more to this life than just this life. We're thinking about what happens or comes after. And I mentioned before that us Christians are a peculiar people. We should feel out of place. And we have that hope of something after. 
Think about those people who have no hope. Think about those people, the Jews in Nazi Germany, who were stuck in Germany. They couldn't escape anymore. Now they're trapped. The Afghans in Afghanistan who are trapped now. And this is just Afghanistan. This is just what's made the news. We're not talking about the persecution and thousands being killed and persecuted, not for religious re- some of it for religious reasons, some of it for other reasons, in Africa and in China. I'm only looking at what we've seen on the news regarding Afghanistan. But how would it feel to say, I'm stuck? There is no better. There was a better place. I missed it. I'm stuck. And that's exactly what we've been seeing this past year. When I see colleagues who have a worldly mindset, anything that bad happens in the world, guess what? There is no hope. And for them, there is no hope. And looking at this last year at the pandemic and looking at the solitude, the lockdowns, and the number of suicides that have claimed the lives of so many people and especially young people who kill themselves as a result of the separation from humanity and the dislocation and the fear that's been promoted this past year. They kill themselves because they have no hope. So we are a peculiar people in that we do have hope. And that hope becomes more real when we go to a house of mourning. I mentioned before about moth and rust, destroying and thieves, breaking in and steel. Jesus continues on, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. James talks about, let's think about going to such and such a city. You know? There's always this uncertainty about what may happen. Myung and I talk about, you know, where we're going to be in five years. This house, another house. All these possibilities, we don't know. And that's what's kind of scary. In our assembly this morning, we talked about peace and looking to God for our strength. And no matter what happens, we have that peace. And why is that? Because our treasure is in heaven, not in this world. And the Hebrew writer talks about that hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what happens if I move to this city or that city, if I'm jumping into the fr- from the frying pan into the fire, if I move from this job to that job. But one thing I do know is that hope is set before me, and it's ours, guaranteed. God is not a liar. Paul tells the Corinthians that this, if our earthly tent, this house that we have, this body is torn down, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Peter continues on talking about an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. I was talking to make sure I'm not talking to see. Yeah, you know this person, so let me not use that illustration, but it's 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 tragic i've never lived this life but talking about lance you know there's a baby and moving from a baby and just within an hour there's a person that's dying but to find your spouse 
I wake up one morning and your spouse is not there. You wake up, uh, time to get some breakfast, not there. But what we have in the afterlife, the better place in the afterlife is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. And think about this. The voice from heaven said, Blessed or blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Blessed are the dead. Blessed are the dead. In Hebrews 9, it says that it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. And Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right in his illustration here, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That judgment comes after we die. As long as Jesus doesn't come back to get us before we do that. But that thing that is so feared, that thing that we can never ever escape in this life, that everybody tries to put off, thou, that event is the event that brings us to the better place. And so we should no longer fear death. Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation. Now, we can ignore it and say, well, there's tribu- I, want to try- I don't want to look at it. I don't want to accept it. I don't want to acknowledge it. But Jesus says, in the world, you have tribulation. No matter where you move in this world, there's going to be tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. This world is a location. It's a place. It's a time. It's a... It's where we are now. But Jesus has overcome the world so that we could look toward a better place and to have that encouragement, to have that hope. We need to place where we are now and where we're going in their proper perspective. So I encourage each of us to Search our hearts to see where we are in our relationship to God. Do we have that hope sure and steadfast ingrained in our heart? To know and look forward to that day. When I will die or when Jesus comes again, then I can inherit something so much better. And although I didn't pull these passages, Paul talks about that, making the comparisons about just running all over himself about how great the things will be over there compared to what we have now. Consider those things. If you're not a Christian, consider your life now. If you're not a Christian, this world's all you got. And nothing to look forward to but something worse, not something better. So I encourage you to think about these things as we stand and as we sing.